whether we're talking about business, wellness, travel, or relationships. I've always thought age is just a number. Welcome to Ageless with me, Cynthia Raleigh, and my daughter, Kit Keenan. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Ageless. So it's just me today because my mom is preparing for Fashion Week, but we are so excited to have Whitney and Danielle, who are the founders of Sakara Life. And if you haven't heard of Sakara Life yet, they are a plant-based meal delivery service. And so I guess let's just jump right in with these guys. Um, I would love to hear a little bit about your founding story. I know you guys met in seventh grade, so that is very, very early to, you know, have built this like amazing business together later in life. So how did that all come about? We started Sakara almost 10 years ago now. And yeah, we've known each other since we were in seventh grade. We grew up in Sedona, Arizona. Have you been there? I have not. I've been to the Grand Canyon. Is that close? No, it's like three hours away. (laughs) So then no. Um, Sedona is in like central northern Arizona, and it's just this really hippie spiritual town, and it's also incredibly beautiful. It has huge red rocks and canyons, and it's an elevated desert, so it has pine trees next to cacti and just visually very beautiful, but it also attracts a very interesting kind of set of individuals. It's, there's a big New Age community, a big Osho community. Um, a lot of monks live in the area, um, Buddhist monks. So, you know, we were lucky enough to grow up around a lot of different ways of thinking and also um, this respect for mind, body, food, medicine, and how nature plays a role in how we all feel. Um, I, Whitney and I like to say, you know, we started Sakara not as a business, but really as a solution to our own needs. We didn't set out to start a business. We set out to get ourselves out of what we call our rock bottom. Um, we were lucky enough to kind of head down there together. So (laughs) it wasn't so lonely. Um, my rock bottom was born out of a lifetime of yo-yo dieting. I started dieting at around the age of nine is my first memory. Oh my God. Yeah. And I have a daughter now. She's two. And the idea of her starting to diet in seven years just gives me so much anxiety. But, you know, that's when we start to, like, understand what culture places value on. Um, We start to compare ourselves a lot around that age. Um, so, you know, it's a very kind of important time to, I think, learn what it means to build a really positive relationship with yourself and your body and your plate and your food. Um, and, you know, I decided at that age that I needed to look different. And so I turned to diets and from nine years until my early twenties, I did every single diet you could possibly imagine. You know, the grapefruit and cottage cheese, the cabbage soup. Uh, I was a vegan, vegetarian. I was a raw foodist. Uh, I did everything, and I learned how to count calories and carbs and points and pounds. And I, I never learned how to build a body that I felt really good in. 
And you know, the thing about diets is that it's really high highs and low lows. If you get a diet that's restrictive enough, you think it's working and then you realize you can't live that way forever and nor would you want to. Um, so I was, I came to New York to study medicine. So I came here for college and at a, a couple of years before I hit my personal rock bottom, I started working in a hospital with a cardiologist and we were seeing patients with late stage lifestyle diseases. So diabetes, heart disease, etc. And just time and time again, I witnessed patients that had lifestyle diseases. And so therefore changing their lifestyle would greatly impact their health and their life. But by the time they were seeing us, they were pretty late stage. So it was really only like pharmaceutical intervention or surgical intervention. And I just thought, you know, who's getting to these people before it's late stage? Who's really helping them understand that to some degree you can have power over your health and be in the driver's seat of your health? Um, and then I hit my own rock bottom around the same time because I did the craziest kind of diet that I had ever done. And I went on this retreat for 21 days and did a seven day water fast and then lived on raw food for two weeks. And I ended up in the hospital and that was my aha moment of, wow, I've, I've gone too far. And it's, it was so clear to me that I was willing to go really far and it scared me into realizing it was time to get back to this idea of food as medicine and food as nourishment. So I went on to study uh, nutrition and Sakara was, was born out of that, but alongside Whitney. Yeah, my, my story um, is similar in that we both ended up in our rock bottoms together at the same time. Um, but my, and health was at the core of what put us there. But mine took a little bit of a different path. Um, I had terrible cystic acne since I was probably about 12 and it followed me all the way into my 20s. Um, and I literally tried everything out there you can possibly think of. I did all of the creams and lights and lasers. These dermatologists had me on rounds and rounds of antibiotics. Um, I was doing Accutane, which it seems that dermatologists are just too, you know, um, ready to hand out prescriptions for Accutane. And people coming with the cystic acne are desperate for a solution. You know, you're wearing these big red painful cysts right on your face. It's not something that you can hide from the world. Um, and it affects everything from your confidence and how you feel about yourself to your work, to your love life, every aspect of your life. And, but Accutane is a really serious drug. Um, it's a high powered dose of vitamin A that shrinks your oil glands from the inside. And um, along with that comes different types of side effects. They put me on Prozac because suicide could be a potential side effect. Um, they had me on two forms of birth control and had me sign a contract saying that if I were to get pregnant, I would have an abortion because the baby would come out with such terrible birth defects due to this drug. Yeah, it's very intense. And, you know, I was probably about 17 at the time and just starting to get to know my body. Um, and, you know, but I, I was desperate for a solution. And so I tried it and it didn't work. 
And I just kept trying one thing after the next, looking for the solution, going from dermatologist to dermatologist, hoping that somebody would help me. And I also tried everything on the more like um, Eastern modality front. So I was doing acupuncture. I was taking all these different types of herbs. Um, I was doing hypnosis, like everything you can possibly think of and nothing would work. And so when I found myself in New York City in my early 20s, um, working in finance and living an even more hectic lifestyle of, you know, you have 15 minutes to find something to eat and you're not really taking care of your body and you're drinking too much alcohol, um, not sleeping enough and overstressed, my acne was really just at its worst. And I finally had my aha moment um, right around the same time Danielle had hers, where I was sitting in a dermatologist chair on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. I had learned about him through one of the glossy magazines and he was supposed to be a magician, be able to fix everything. And he saw me for five minutes and was trying to write me a prescription for a three month round of heavy duty antibiotics. And I said, no. He said, okay, fine. I'm gonna write you a prescription for Accutane then. And I said, no, I don't want that either. I've already tried it. This doesn't work. And he had no more solutions for me. And he was basically like, take it or leave it, kid. And I just had this voice inside of me that was like, don't do it. This is not the answer. You need to go inside and figure out what is the root cause creating this acne? This acne is a symptom. What, what is the root cause? And go in and treat that. And so in that moment, I decided to turn back to my Sedona roots, back to that power of nature and food as medicine, and turn to my best friend, um, Danielle, to work together to find a solution for my skin and for her body. And so we, we came together and we started putting the research together, what Danielle was learning in nutrition school, things around the microbiome and epigenetics, how what you eat and your environment turns on certain genes in your body, how your food, your nutrition, and your environment influence your overall health. And I was, you know, I was asking dermatologists, is it something I'm eating? And they were all saying, no, no, you know, that pizza and chocolate, that's a myth. Food has nothing to do with it, you know. Fast forward 10 years to where we are now, and now dermatologists are starting to come around and saying, oh yes, it has to do with this gut bacteria, this ecosystem in your body, that skin is highly related to what you eat and what you put into your body. But at that point, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. But we came around and we had a mega transformation. Like our, my skin finally started to clear up after over a decade of nothing working. The inflammation started to go down. Danielle started to feel good in her body, feel nourished and find her balance weight. And we realized that this was much bigger than just, you know, another diet or a meal program for two young women. This was information that we had to share with the world. And it really put us on a mission at that point to help as many people as possible feel the transformation that we felt and experienced the power of food as medicine. I love that story. I just think that now there's so many conversations around 
plant-based eating and whether or not it is the most sustainable way to eat or whether or not it works for everyone. And I guess I would just love to hear your guys' take on why plant-based specifically is the way to go, the way to look at food Mm -hmm. in a positive light, et cetera. Well, we don't, uh, we don't define plant-based as vegan. Um, we started using the term plant-based long before it became what it is right now. Um, and we actually kind of had to define it for people because people didn't know what it meant. Um, and I don't think we need another term for vegan. Like vegan is vegan and uh, we don't need to call plant-based vegan. So for us, plant-based means you base your diet off of plants. So the majority of your plate at any given meal is our plants. Um, and then what you choose to do with that, you know, 10, 15, sometimes 20% of your plate is really up to you and your bioindividuality. And we're big proponents of, of body intelligence. So what is your body telling you it needs? And the more you cultivate a healthy gut bacteria and microbiome and relationship to your plate, the more you actually get to listen to your cravings. You know, I thought for the longest time that you were supposed to ignore your cravings and do the opposite. But really, you know, when you talk about that gut instinct, that actually really does come from your microbiome and your gut. These bacteria are talking to us all the time. Um, And when you cultivate a healthy ecosystem and a healthy relationship to your body, then you actually get to listen um, instead of, you know, ignore. So the idea is getting enough plants every single day is the most important thing you can do for your health. I mean, our ancestors were eating, you know, hundreds of different species of, of plants every week and getting over 100 grams of fiber every single day. Most Americans are getting 15 grams of fiber, which, mm. you know, fiber is the number one food that that bacteria in our gut eat um, when we don't feed them what they need, then then the bacteria that do bad things like cause autoimmune disorders or um, can play a role in mental health, mental emotional health, um, that's when they start to have overgrowth and when you start to not you know feel so great. And so the point of getting enough plants, enough organic, healthy, whole food plants into your diet every single day is not only making sure that you're feeding the good bacteria, but you know, the nutrients that are in these plants are antioxidants and polyphenols and all of these things that we need every single day anyway, and that you can't find in animal-based products. Mm. I also think intuitive eating has become sort of like a trend now. And I guess I would ask you guys, like in terms of cultivating that healthy relationship with your plate and what you're putting in your body, are there ways like physical strategies that we can employ besides just like going off this kind of broad term intuitive eating. It can seem sort of difficult, especially if you've struggled with yo-yo dieting in the past or you just don't have that relationship to your body and listening to your body in that way. Absolutely. And I think that it starts with putting – the right foods into your body so that you're getting the right information. So food is not just fuel. It's not just there to quell your hunger. 
food is actual information. It's informing your body how to function. It's creating the material your body needs to repair and heal itself, to create your brain chemicals, to give your body energy. Um, so you wanna be putting the right ingredients into your body so that your body can actually feed you the right information, right? Just like what Danielle was saying, um, there are different foods, you know, processed foods, food-like products that can hijack your brain and they can confuse your, your brain signals to make you think that maybe you're not full yet and you keep eating that bag of potato chips because your brain's not registering that um, you've had enough or, you know, it's a lot of different junk foods um, are designed to hit the bliss point in your brain, almost like a drug. So you want to continue to eat more of them. And so once you start to take those foods out of your diet and put foods in that are feeding your body the right information, you know, foods that are made by nature, lots of leafy greens, lots of foods with um, great plant fiber in them, all of that is going to provide your, your gut bacteria and your body the information to function properly. And the more you eat this way, the more your body starts to crave eating this way. And you get to that point where you can just really trust your body, uh, what it's telling you, how much you want to eat, when you're hungry, when you're full, what types of foods to eat. Um, but it can, it can take a little bit of time and adjustment to get there, especially depending on where you're coming from. So yeah. I would say focusing on what you're putting into your diet first um, is a great place to start. I think a lot of people, especially dieters, focus on what you're taking out of your diet, what you're eliminating, but then you can eliminate out all the way to just being on a water fast like Danielle did, and that doesn't solve the problem. So really focusing on what you're putting into your diet and feeding that good bacteria. Uh, we love to say, can you challenge yourself to eat six cups of leafy greens in a day? Mm. Like it sounds doable, but then you start working on it. You're like, wow, this is a lot of greens. Yeah. Um, but just having that focus, setting that one goal of getting those leafy greens into your diet can make the biggest difference. It can make a big difference in your gut, in your skin, in your energy and how you feel. And then start working in, okay, I want to eat, you know, five different colors on my plate. And, you know, then you're like, wow, okay, well, I need to add in purple cabbage. And that's not something I normally eat, but I need purple on my plate. And so you start bringing in that plant diversity. And um, just focusing like one by one on getting these different, you know, elements of vegetables into your diet, it crowds out some of the the space that you have to eat other things that might be sending you wrong information to your body. You know, anytime you're talking about, you know, choosing health or making, making choices in what you should have in your diet, I think accessibility is such an important topic, especially now we're looking at a lot of the systemic barriers that have been hidden. And I think that you know, the agricultural system is definitely um, 
it's very oppressive and so is the food the american food system and i guess i would just like to hear what your guys's thoughts are on that you know i think we do have so many younger listeners and maybe there are things that can be taken from the Sakara lifestyle that anyone could take away. Absolutely. You know, it's something that is near and dear to our hearts. We believe that every human on this planet has the right to feel good in their body and therefore deserves the tools um, necessary to create health. Um, oftentimes organic gets put under this kind of light of, oh, it's fancy. But <laughs> if that's only because it's more expensive than conventional, it's actually how food is supposed to be. Um, not covered in harmful pesticides, herbicides, fungicides. So there is, um, you know, systemic, there are systemic issues with how our food system has been created. Um, and you know, the, the subsidies that our government gives to monocrops. Um, and, you know, for us, when we think about what our mission is to help people, to help place people in the driver's seat of their own health and understand how to use food as medicine, that certainly doesn't mean that that's only ordering our food program, you know, five days a week, every week out of the year. We do a lot of education, which is free. Our magazine is free. And I think that's really where it starts. And then second, I think um, it's advocating for um, organic farmers, for regenerative farmers, for understanding how much work it takes to take a stance in the current climate um, as a farmer, as a as a you know maker of food in this world, it's it's not a great living for any farmer out there. Um, you know these farmers have to really like believe in what they're doing. So, company wide, we support hundreds of different organic farmers all across the world, um, and that's the first step in driving down prices. Right? It's the more you know organic farmland is less than ten percent of farmland in America, um, and so the more we can kind of drive the demand the more we can drive the prices down. Mm, wow, that's, I mean, I never thought about that, but that's amazing. Yeah, I think recently I've begun to do more research on um, just food sovereignty and that whole movement for agricultural justice. And it is such an issue. And I think accessibility is like the first barrier it's like you you're surrounded it's not even there's not even like a choice in a lot of these like underserved communities to make to make choices for you know organic produce or whatever and it's something that is just like so it's so fundamental and it's so messed up and exactly the idea that um you know, you can get a, a burger and fries and a soda for like a dollar, um, but you can't even get like an organic sweet potato for a dollar. Mm-hmm. Like the idea that meals, entire processed meals are cheaper than a single vegetable is a mm-hmm. huge problem. Um, and I think that's also where a lot of the education comes into play is helping reframe um, how we think about our plate is also fundamental to this, I think, education reform. Mm, And have those, 
ideas about what a meal could look like changed in your development as a company or as individuals? Like how maybe has your philosophy around food changed? What are things that you learned along the way that might have transformed your your view on cooking or on your own diets? I think you have to start where you are. I mean, you know, when we think about delivering our nutrition program, like we're talking about ideal health. We're talking about, we're talking about like optimizing um, and transforming. Like that doesn't have to be where you start. So yeah, you're not going to find a baked sweet potato on our, on our menu. Um, it's much more complex than that. Um, but we're talking about ideals. So I think helping people understand that, yeah, there's kind of, there's this spectrum and maybe over here on one side is, you know, following all of our nutrition protocols and, uh, you know, really creating the, the meals around them. And that might be a, a, an ideal that we can all work toward. But that if you start over here and you just start incorporating more vegetables into your diet, that that is a profound way to start. And the best part about that is that you, your microbiome shifts with every bite you take. So the more you start to eat that way, the more you start to move up the spectrum toward whatever we might, you know, call, I'm using air quotes, ideal, because I don't believe that there's any ideal or there's no wagon to fall off of. There's nothing. Um, but that once you start taking small steps toward health, um, you want to take more steps. Like it's motivating because you're not only changing um, your physiological self, but you're changing the way you think and feel and then relate to food. Mm. What you were saying about not falling off the wagon, I think is so important to emphasize because in the yo-yo dieting world, that is like how food is framed. And in reality, the guilt around falling off your diet is like then what makes you not want to continue it long-term. So... Yeah, I think yeah. that's that's so important to to emphasize. It's so important um, and it's fundamental to what we do. And and the idea that there's something to fall off of, it's like it's just life. And, you know, when I go through a week and maybe I've had too many glasses of wine or whatever it is, the most important part is that you know what you need to do to get back to feeling really good. And that was the most important part for me because for the longest time, I didn't have the tools in my toolkit to, to help me feel really good. So when I went to a bad place, it was really scary and I kind of clung to these extremes to get me back. So it was this really kind of bad feedback loop. But when you know how to get back to feeling really good, then you just make these little tweaks to get back to feeling really good. And then there you are again, like we're never static. Um, and so I, I think that people underestimate the impact of guilt and stress on your health. And sometimes just saying yes to the French fries is actually healthier than, you know, the guilt and, and whatever of, of not doing it. Because you can say, oh, but I was really craving that. I was really craving it. And then you don't do it. And then you end up like late night, you know, grabbing something. Weird. And it's just like just if, if it brings you joy, then say yes. And we all know those times where we've had too many French fries and then they stop bringing us joy. Um, and that's when you kind of like know when it's not fun anymore. And that's back to that body intelligence. So 
really using, we like to use joy as a compass. Um, most of the time, eating really well brings me a ton of joy. And then when I want to go outside of that, I make sure it's also joyful, not out of guilt or stress or whatever it is. That is so important. And it brings me to my next question about one of the pillars of Sakara life, which is getting in as many sulfur-rich veggies as possible. So maybe you guys can touch on that a bit. Yeah, this is um, maybe not one of our sexiest pillars to talk about, (laughs) but it's definitely one of our favorites and one of the most functional. So sulfur-rich vegetables are um, vegetables that contain sulfurous compounds in them, cruciferous vegetables like kale and cabbage, Brussels sprouts, um, alliums like garlic, onion contain sulfur in them. Um, And what this sulfur does is it goes into your body and it helps with your body's natural detoxification process. Really in that uh, phase two liver detox, helping your body just naturally detoxify and run its processes in the right way. Um, it also, sulfur is also called the beauty mineral. So it goes in, it helps strengthen your hair, skin, and nails at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, you recognize that sulfur from its kind of like rotten egg smell. So I don't know if you've ever kept a kale salad in your refrigerator for a few days and then you open it up and you're like, oh my gosh, what is that smell? Mm -hmm. Uh, that is the sulfur being released out of your kale. And it smells bad, but it's so good for you. And um, just, you know, as Americans, we don't get enough sulfur-rich vegetables into our diet on a regular basis. Um, You know, not everybody loves to eat a bunch of cabbage or uh, kale, things like that. And, but it can do wonders for your body. So we include a sulfurous vegetable like that in our meals every single day on Saqqara um, to help give you that beauty mineral and really help your body to detoxify itself. Mm, I'm interested also, I think that a lot of sulfur-rich vegetables that you're you're naming also have an association with bloating. I'm wonder if, wondering if there's a connection there. Well, there um, they're really also fiber. really high in fiber. Yeah. Okay, so that makes sense. Yeah, and you know, the thing about eating fibrous foods and bloating is that if you're not doing it on a regular basis, then your body can have that initial reaction. Uh, But the more you eat that way, the more your body gets used to eating that way, and that bloat will dissipate. Um, You can also try uh, cooking them or steaming them a little bit or with kale, you know, rubbing it with olive oil and salt to start breaking it down um, before it goes into your digestive system. And that can also help. And then making sure that when you can, that you're, you're choosing organic. Um, having herbicides like glyphosate on your produce can also trigger bloat. So sticking with organic you know, maybe eating a little bit of these fiber-rich sulfurous vegetables at a time to transition and work your way up 
um, that should really help with the bloat. Mm. Well, I love that you mentioned um, massaging your kale with olive oil because I feel like I'm telling everyone that because I think a lot of times when people are new to like the health and wellness world, they I'll see people just eating kale salads just with nothing, a like dry kale massaging salad. the kale, and I'm like cringing in the <laughs> background. But um, I it brings me to the question of like. What are your top kitchen essentials like that? Maybe it's condiments, maybe it's oils, your cooking essentials that you guys have to have at all times in the pantry. Well, oil is a a big topic um, for us because most of us are eating bad rancid oils um, that are very inflammatory. Um, you want to stay away from these big kind of monocrop oils, so soybean oil, canola oil, um, and you want to make sure you're getting cold-pressed virgin plant oils, so like avocado oil, coconut oil. Um, A lot of times when these oils are produced, they're highly processed, and they use chemical solvents and dyes, because um, you can imagine the process of taking, for instance, a soybean and extracting the oil out of it and putting it into a bottle on the shelf it takes a lot of work. Um, so there's uh, lots of inflammatory causing ingredients that they add to the oil, but then also it using this high heat destabilizes the oil and actually changes its molecular structure in such a way where it causes a lot more bad than good. And it breaks my heart because... You know, we're talking about back to um, like underserved communities and people that are getting a salad from a fast food chain and thinking they're doing something healthy. And one, they're not getting organic, so they're eating a bowl full of pesticides. And two, they're getting this rancid oil. And that's the stuff that really just pisses me off because, you know, people deserve to know this stuff. And it's, it's, you have to be so deep in this world to really start to comprehend um, how bad most of the food out there is for us. So I'd say making sure that you have fresh, clean oils in your pantry is really, really important because we use it in almost everything that we make from a salad dressing to stir fry, etc. Yeah, one of my friends the other day, she was making a birthday cake or cupcake, something like that for her son and the recipe called for vegetable oil. And so she thought that meant you have to buy the bottle like at the store that says vegetable oil on it. And she was saying, are there any vegetable oils that don't come in plastic containers? And I was like, olive oil, avocado. Yeah. And she was like, oh my gosh, that's, that's a vegetable oil. And I'm like, yeah, just because it says vegetable oil doesn't mean that you have to get the quote unquote vegetable oil that you can use these other types of oils to sub in to a recipe where it calls for vegetable oil and choose something that's a little bit cleaner. Yeah. That's a good tip. Yeah. Cause I mean, anytime you're even baking, like not that you should really be baking stuff from a box, but <laughs> if you are baking, it's great to think about, um, subbing in oils. So yeah, I think that having 
high quality oils if you can is so important. And I also think oil has been so demonized, especially like in the health and wellness world. I think that it wasn't until recently that eating high quality oils became more trendy. And I think there's still a lot of back and forth on it. And it's the type of thing like coffee that's in you know, the news every few weeks being like, it's bad, it's good, it's whatever, you know, you should have this kind or this kind. So it's definitely like, it's kind of a struggle to figure out. I think there's a lot of mixed information out there. Um, But what my philosophy around it is, is that if it's high quality, extra virgin plant oil, then I feel like that's probably best you can get. Um, and I guess just to end off a question that we ask all of our guests on Ageless is what do you want to be when you grow up? So I would love to hear your guys's take on that. Um, well, yeah, go ahead. Liz. Um, let's see. I, I think that's such a, an interesting question. And I think once you get into your adult life, you don't think about who you want to be when you grow up, but we still have so much growing up to do. Um, I am currently like eight and a half months pregnant. And so I think when I grow up, I definitely want to be like a great mother and parent. Um, I think about, yeah, my career path and becoming a better CEO and business leader to our team, um, a better partner to Danielle and our other executive team members, Um, just always wanting to evolve as a person, to learn more, to listen more, to grow more, to expand beyond what I am and who I am today. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I guess I also, uh, so yeah, Whitney's pregnant with her first and due in a few weeks. Um, I'm pregnant with my second and due in a few months. And um, I work with midwives for, I've worked with midwives for both my pregnancies. And um, I don't necessarily want to be a midwife when I grow up because it's such intensely difficult work. But I, I hold such respect and reverence for for midwives um, who choose to do this work and choose to empower women through the birthing process in a culture where we don't hold reverence for what it is to birth another human being. Um, And there really are guides as we cross the veil um, and birth another human onto this planet. Um, So when I think about the, the kind of majesty and power that they have in choosing what it means to be a midwife, I think about what it means to hold space and hold space for another individual. Um, And I guess when I think about my future self and growing up, like I wanna really learn how to hold space for people in my life, whether it's a coworker, a colleague, a friend, my husband, my kids just really learning what it means to effectively and lovingly hold space. Oh, you guys are like making me want to cry. It's so (laughs) amazing. Um, 
Well, yeah. So thank you guys so much for doing this. I, I just, all of your answers to all of these questions are so powerful and, um, just eye opening and also affirming to a lot of the work that I've done on my own journey to intuitive eating and health. And, um, I would love our listeners to be able to check out more, um, of Sakara and follow along with everything you guys have coming up. So where can they find you? You can find us at sakara.com, S-A-K-A-R-A.com. And on Instagram at Sakara Life, I'm at Whitney Tingle and Danielle is at Danielle Dubois. All right. So I'm so happy that you guys got to listen to our stories today. As always, you can follow us on social media and keep up with our work and our crazy adventures. Then you can follow us on Instagram at Cynthia Rowley and at Kit Keenan. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 